over with me to uh, Matthew chapter 19, if you will. And let me read you uh, a little bit of a passage of, of, uh, of Scripture, because I'd like to be able to zero in on a number of things as we go into a, a new series, I think a bit of a series, it might not be that long, but I really feel like it's important that we grasp some of the concepts that the Lord has been putting on my heart over the last number of weeks. And so this is the scripture that we refer to. If you haven't, uh, haven't talked about this before that much, at least not in a while, the, the, the reference that we have is the rich young ruler. And this fella comes to Jesus uh, in sort of in the midst of his day, and he's just one of these guys, and he begins to talk to Jesus about a very specific concept. And what I'd like to do today is if I could dig into that concept in order to understand the importance of understanding this reality as we go forward in deciding, well, if I can believe anything and that anything is manifested in my life, what should I be believing? Because a lot of the times, I think anyways, where, let's let's go back a bit, you know, 50 years ago or so, back to the beginning of the 1900s, the concept of believing God or the concept of walking by faith uh, really became um, revelatory in a sense or uh, it was released into the body of Christ. But because we didn't deal with the issue that we're going to talk about today, I feel like the understanding of faith and what God's purpose in understanding faith has kind of left the kingdom sort of wandering around and not really expressing or manifesting the things that God had intended it to manifest. It's kind of like when we are understanding a new, or let's put it this way, when I have the understanding that I can believe God for anything, what are the first things that we start believing God for? Typically, we start believing God for restoration in our finances, restoration in our physical body, and restoration in our relationships. Because really, those are the key things that we would say, wow, okay, if I really need to get God or supernatural ability to fix something or do something for me, it's certainly, you know, 99 out of 100 people would say, I want to go over here and begin to deal with these pressing matters that are in my life right now. Yes, and what I'd like to be able to do is I'd like to share with you that perhaps scripture gives us a warning, not really a stern warning, but it's kind of like a warning to say, you may not want to do things in that order. And we kind of wander to that when we interact with this guy, the rich young ruler. And so this rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He's just playing with children on the floor at the time. And this rich young ruler interacts with him and asks him a question. Now, remember, we have to maintain our context here. We've already talked about the fact that when Jesus was here, his primary message was, how do you believe? How do you go from a place of deception to a place of believing? And by believing, it's not that we don't believe deception, When we say believing or faith, we're referring to believing the word of God or the ways of God or the truths of God. Now, on top of that, then, if we assume that when Jesus was here, what he was talking about was you have to learn how to believe. And we're going to discover that as we go further down into this teaching, that the believing concept was the primary concept that Jesus revealed to us. Then this rich young ruler comes to him and he, having heard the teaching, having heard that I can believe anything at all, the rich young ruler comes to him and he says, Jesus, what I'd really like to do is I'd like to learn how to, how to believe God for a million dollars. No. 
What I'd really like, Jesus, is I've got this pain right here, and I'd really like to be able to use faith to be able to get... No, that's not what he did. I got this real issue with my uncle, and my uncle and I don't see eye to eye, and I really... No, that's not what he said. What the rich young ruler came to Jesus to talk about was, he said, Jesus, how might I have eternal life? And I thought to myself, it's always been something that in my life has been like, okay, you know, what I'm really looking for is a million dollars, and I'm looking for... That's who I was. And I'm thinking to myself, that's not what this guy talked about. And so I want to dig in and have a little bit of a look and try to bring some understanding to why this particular reference of Scripture is in three of the Gospels. And it's almost word for word in each of the Gospels. And so it kind of draws us our attention to the fact that whichever one of the Gospels is your favorite, chances are you're going to run across this guy, Rich Young Ruler. And you're going to run across the message that Jesus was trying to release when he was interacting with this guy, the rich young ruler. When we're honest with ourselves and say, well, if I, if I had the ability to believe anything and have anything at all manifest in my life, is this the same question that I would have asked Jesus? So let's take the account. And a certain rich young ruler asked him, saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, referencing God, and that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your mother and your father. And he said, all these things have I kept from my youth. And so when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. And when he had heard this, he became very sorrowful for he was very rich. And when, the, when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, how hard it is that those who have riches to enter into the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard this said, who then can be saved? And he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left all to follow you. And he said to them, assuredly, I say, there is no one who has left houses or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. Yes. And so uh, there's a bunch of things that I'd like to, I'm not sure how much we're going to get through today, but there's a bunch of things that I'd like to be able to highlight in this interaction that this fellow, the rich young ruler has with Jesus. The first one though being that he's warning us that Eternal life needs to be the primary revelation when you begin to walk by faith. Yes. What he says here, because most of us would say, uh, probably not to me or to in the church, but if we were to get honest somewhere, uh, we would probably say, if I'm going to learn to walk by faith, what I'd like to do to walk, when I walk by faith is know how to get a lot of money. And so, but what the rich young ruler here is, in, is showing us is that he is already, by following the ways of God, right? I, I followed the commandments is what he said. He was kind of proud of himself that he was able to do all of these type of things. Now, notice that he wasn't, he wasn't referencing the commandments that are, to, that are dealing with his relationship to God, right? Remember, first three commandments are my relationship to God. The next seven are my relationship with people, with others around me. And he doesn't reference, you know, that, that the, the ones that are to do with honoring God, he's referencing the one, you know, I'm get, I got really good at knowing how to, how to work with people. I followed the scriptures, and so I'm really, and you can evidence that by the fact that he's got a lot of money. And that's not untrue for even us in our day. 
you know, when we learn to be good people, you know, I just remember the first one there, thou shalt not commit adultery. Commit adultery, you lose half what you got. And so like all of a sudden right there, we know that's not a good thing to do. And so the financial ability or the financial increase, the abundance that comes from following God's ways uh, is still a reality in our lives today. But what he's saying is that if you go down that road and you manifest abundance in your life, if you enter into the year of great harvest, before you are manifesting uh, uh, or you have got a revelation of this thing called eternal life, he's saying that, uh, that harvest, the abundance that is in your life is going to make it hard for you. Think about that for a moment. Because we're really focused right now, I really believe apostolically even, in the earth today. One of the main things that has to happen is, is that the kingdom of God has got to shed this understanding that God wants us all to be poor and live small. But somehow there's going to be some Shazam moment when God shows up and zippity doo takes care of the whole world. Instead, I believe that God wants each of us to do that. He wants the dream in your heart to go and uh, change the world. And in order to do that, he's got to be able to get resources to you, finances to you in order to get that done. Right. And I don't think that's wrong, but I feel like if we don't get an understanding of this thing, the eternal life, then that stuff, how many of you have noticed it? You know, when you get a little bit of money in your pocket, you get a little bit of opportunity, you get, you know, you get the ability to travel, you get the ability to go do all these things, and you know, Shazam, God begins to fade slowly, of course, right. fade into the background. And see, this is kind of what's happening here to the rich young ruler, is that he's got all this stuff. He's got all these things to do. He's got, as the Bible says, got great wealth, got great opportunity. He can do just about anything. And when Jesus says, I want you to give all that away, he goes, nah, I, I, you know, mm. You know, it's funny how when we read that scripture, I know I always, I, I must have read this scripture a hundred times because it's very challenging to me to understand what this guy is going through. But most of us, you see that scripture and it says, I, you know, go and give all, give all your money away and then go sit in the back room there. And then that's not what it says. It says, go give away all that you have and what? And follow me, right? G this guy has been given the, he's the 13th apostle. He's been given the opportunity to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And we don't really zero in on that because the concept, give away all that you have, is so challenging to us that we kind of then go, I'm not sure quite what Jesus said after that. I kinda... But this is the, this is the problem. Yeah. When we have, when our lives are very important to us, what happens to us is that we often quickly, once we get the understanding of walking by faith and we understand how easy it is to prosper and how easy it is to walk in health and how easy it is to uh, live lives according to the scriptures because we're not trying to do it anymore. Now we've learned how to get it in our hearts, so we just do it automatically. It's almost an effortless thing that we're doing. When we learn that, as I think the rich young ruler had learned, because he'd been raised in these things from his youth, and so it was habitual for him, maybe not the same way it is in the New Testament, but it was very habitual for him to be a decent guy and to do things with wisdom and do things with understanding. And because of that, he's prospering. And then all of a sudden, destiny now puts his, puts, uh, comes in, and, and meets him. And he's unable. How many say, that's what I want to do. I, when, my, when my destiny meets me, I want to be unable to take it. Yeah. Nobody, nobody, nobody's like that. 
I want to be one of those people then that when destiny calls me, when opportunity in the kingdom of God calls me, I'm being prepared and I'm being built and I'm being established. But when God moves, I want to be that person that's able to move with that. The scripture then telling us that a revelation of abundance and a revelation of finance is a revelation of faith without first coming to the place where we process our faith. Now remember, this chart now is, is not, we, we haven't changed in the way this chart works. What we're going to go after, first of all, is eternal life. Because if I can get a revelation of eternal life, then as I get the other things in my life and all of the, the next 50 revelations that God is bringing to me, if I don't first get eternal life, then the other revelations have a very strong possibility, like they did in the rich young ruler's life, to, uh, to take me off the course or to make me even default when the time comes to be able to fill, fulfill that. So let's take a look then. Um, Let's take a look at a couple of the words. Can we do that? When, when, uh, when the rich young ruler is coming now, it's, it, the, scripture, the verse right before that I didn't read there was that Jesus was playing with these little children on the floor. And he says to those little children, except you come as a little child, you will not be able to enter the kingdom. And then the, the rich young ruler comes to him and says, okay, how might I have eternal life? And so there's kind of a little bit of a connection there that says... Uh, this is going to be a very difficult concept for you. So we're kind of over here in the place where our lives or our mortality is still very real to us. And he's saying, if you don't come as a child, as we talked about before, that humility, L-I-T-Y, is the key to getting from where I believe in, my, in, the, in, the, uh, in the, the finality or the mortality of my own life, because of the things that I've seen. We've all had people that have passed away. They used to be here, and now they're not here anymore. And we've gone through a funeral experience. Or we, you know, we're kind of very aware of the, what would appear to be the biological finality of life. And that has an enormous effect on us as we are growing up and we are understanding the nature of life and the nature of our lives. And so when Jesus, I think, was sort of giving us a little bit of hint here, as you go into this concept of eternal life, you need to come in in the way that you're kind of going at it as a child. You got to start all over again. You got to start thinking about things from a different perspective. And so that word then, now remember when Jesus said here, whatever you give up for the sake of my kingdom, you will receive a multiplication many times over in this life. So we're not saying, when we, when we talk about this, we're not saying that the harvest season is not part of the equation. It is part of the equation when they're dealing with what they do with their lives, knowing that when you do things for the kingdom, when you release your life for that purpose, that you, don't get, that you still get a multiplication. What I want to deal with, though, is when he says here, and in the next age, or your Bible might say, in the world to come, eternal life. Now, uh, shall I say it here? So let me just give this to you because you might zero, you might, it might extend beyond. When Jesus said that, he said, one, in this present age, you will get a multiplication of the seeds that you have sown. And then number two, he said, in the age to come, eternal life. Theologically, the age to come is the age we live in. 
That's an important distinction. When Jesus was here, he was still here in the Old Testament because he had not gone to the cross yet. When he said that to the person that he said it to, that person existed at that moment in the Old Testament. When he's referring potentially, now it might be, as we'll talk about in a minute, it might be that the eternal life concept is still that one which we have yet to happen, or he's referring to it as saying, in the age that we are now in, that we will be accessing this thing called eternal life. Only because it pulls it closer to me in my life right now, I'm gonna go forward and assume that we are, have the ability, at least in some degree, to access this concept of eternal life and access it in our mortal lives now. Yeah. My understanding, and I've, I think I've always maybe saw, seen things this way, is that when we come into the place of joining and becoming born again, submitting myself to the Lord and his teaching, from that moment on, I have the power now within me to begin to access and see things where my life is extended beyond the number of my days here on this earth. I believe that the reality of that revelation transforms the way we experience life in our mortal life. Yes. Because we are, we are growing in our ability to, uh, as I was saying to, Jess was looking for the title of this teaching, uh, to putt past the hole. If any of you are golfers, you know that there's a rule that when you are putting that you don't putt to reach the hole, right. you putt past the hole. And so that's the same way I think we should live life. I think we should be living life with an eternal perspective so that the, 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 we're not affected by the finality or the number of days that are given to us in our mortal part of our lives. Yes. When we do that, it's going to transform the way we live our lives. Amen. Imagine if we were going to take you to Disneyland for the day. And you know the day is ticking on and it's getting closer and closer and closer to the time when you're going to leave and then it's really changing the experience for that child as, as opposed to the child that says, no, we're moving to Disneyland and we're going to live here for the rest of our lives. Now that kid, you know what, you know, it's going to sleep in, right? We're going to take an extra long lunch. We're going to be a little more casual about the Disneyland experience because we recognize that the day is, is going to be a thousand years. It's just not going to end. I'm always going to be here. So I can take my time. I can relax. I can really enjoy the moment. I'm not just rushing through like a maniac trying to run to every line because I know in, a, in four hours, in three hours, in two hours, in one hour, in a minute, in a 30 seconds, I'm done. They close the park. That's a very similar way that we should be experiencing life as we are growing in the revelation of this thing called eternal life. I think, as you will agree, as we, as we spend a little time with this, this revelation is the difference between what we are experiencing right now in the modern kingdom of God, where faith and understanding and all this revelation is coming forth that really is, is bringing us back to the book of Acts where... Uh, this same revelations were there because they'd been given to them by Jesus and they were setting the world on fire and they were just, you know, doing amazing things all as, as the gospel and the kingdom spread around the world. The difference, I think, is that we have lost a revelation of this thing, eternal life. I think, uh, and, 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 I, and I'm concerned that the reason that we've lost it is because the life that we have on this earth 
uh, is pretty good. I mean, compared to when they didn't have indoor plumbing. And so uh, the world and the ways of the world and the ability that we have you know, the Lord said to me, it's probably a couple of months ago today, he's challenging me on a couple of my personal concepts. And he says, you know, how many mountaintops do you really need to look out of? I know what he was saying to me. He was kind of saying, you know, does it really matter that you've, that you've got this big, long bucket list and you want to be able to, you know, swim on every beach and walk on the top of every mountain and see every archaeological dig? And, you know, does it not get a little bit on the... You know, I'm not saying don't do those things. Right. I'm saying perhaps let's not do them as my bucket list. If I can do it, it's great. But don't make it a priority because it really doesn't matter that much. It, you know, what I've noticed myself is every beach is pretty much the same. I mean, we, you know, we probably shouldn't talk like that as we've got whatever we have today, eight degrees or whatever it is out there. I think it's different when you live in a cold climate and there's a beach somewhere, yeah. but a, a beach is a beach. A mountaintop is a mountaintop. And sure, we can stand there and go, wow, but you know, I could take you to an escarpment a couple miles from here, and you'll just go, wow, just like you would on the top of Mount something. And I'm not, and I'm not dissing travel. I'm not dissing that. I'm not, I'm not dissing living wealthy. I, I, I believe we are called to do those things. I think what we lose, though, is that when we put priority in the wrong place, because now our world is so wealthy and so capable and so much opportunity that we become captivated by that, which is exactly the problem that the rich young ruler ran into when he was talking with Jesus. So you're not, Jesus, I really wish I could follow you, but you know, the ball game is on in an hour and it's... Yeah, now, now, we make fun of that, but I think that that's the message here. And I'm not saying we should not watch the ball game. I'm saying we should go after a revelation of this thing called abundant life. I think what we need to do is we need to get to become those people that know how to putt past the hole. And so that the dream that you have for your life, if I can just maybe give you, a, I'm off my notes already, and I was trying so hard. Uh, eternity begins in the human soul when one's dreams expand beyond the limitation of their promised years. Hmm. Ambition and all its self-serving trimmings lose their grip on the day eternity dawns on the human soul. What happens? You see, when, when your dream the, the, the way a human, I've noticed the way a human being interacts with the dream that is in their heart is that when the dream only goes to the, to, the, to the finish line of their life, then the dream becomes a very ambitious pursuit. It's very important to me that I fulfill the destiny on my life. Does anybody catch any words that are probably a bit wrong there? Instead, that if we will putt past the hole, when we, like Abraham, when God came to him and says, the blessing that is upon you, in you will all the nations of the earth be blessed. He didn't see that in his lifetime. He saw Isaac. But through Isaac and through the, 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 the life of Abraham, truly, as we see it today, and as we progress forward in human history, no man will have blessed the earth as much as, as started with, with Abraham. Now, Jesus was a big part of that, of course, but the revelation of Abraham, in fact, blessed the whole wide world. But Abraham never saw it. And when we allow our lives and the destiny, the call of God that is upon our lives, to stretch past the, the number of our years... What happens is, is it loses the ambition. It loses the, this is all a self-serving pursuit. 
I just want to be great. I want to do great things for God. Even though that sounds awesome, it's still got that I word in it. Instead of the reality that says, I am going to allow my life to be poured out for the purposes of humanity and the kingdom of God. Let me read another, another just another note, because I said it so good in my notes. Um, uh, let's just wait till we get there. Anyways, okay, let's just go by my notes and then I'll come across that awesome quote. Okay, so let's deal with this word eternal. The word eternal is A-I-O-N-I-O-S. Anybody got a guess? Ionios or something like that. And so the reality is when the rich young ruler came, why wasn't he referring to a concept like paradise, wouldn't you? Like utopia, or perhaps like peace and safety. Why don't you say, you know, this is really what I'm looking for. I'm looking for how do I get into utopia? How do I achieve paradise? Or maybe 70 virgins or food and water or, uh, you know, material things. Why wasn't he asking for that? Right. Oneness, maybe like other religions, an absorption, a, a meeting with my ancestral people or whatever, something like that. Why weren't these things important to him? How did he zero in on this concept of eternal life? He says that it's almost like he's reeling in here that your purpose, the main ultimate goal of God's interaction with mankind is that we would get a revelation of this thing called eternity. Right. It's like he's zeroing in on it as he's focusing the, the rich young ruler. This is what's really important, what's accessible here. In, in Jesus, and I'm seeing it in his life, is this concept of eternity. Existence, if we want to do it like that, existence, if I could kind of take some license here with the definition of it, um, existence without the experience or bondage of time. You see, ultimately, everything dies. Naturally, mortal speaking, everything dies. In truth, nothing dies. Yes. Our natural experience, what we see through this process, is that everything is vanity. Everything is for no point. Everything is useless because everything dies. The reality that eternity gives us is that nothing dies. When, when, I, when I live my life, like every moment, every second, every grain of sand that drips from my life is not wasted. It is in fact invested somehow in something that is going to last forever. Amen. Your smile at me when I walked in this morning is an investment of your life and mine. Yes. It has changed my life. Everything that we do, every bit of action that we take, if we buy into the fact that eternity is real, then, then everything about my life becomes ridiculously important, wow. as it can be used to build something that is going to last forever. Amen. Eternity to the godly is a day without sunrise, 
but to the wicked a night without, excuse me, a day without sunset, but to the wicked a night without sunrise. Thomas Watson said that. It gives us the freedom to do what is right or do what is the right thing unrepressed by the prudent or needful thing demanded by the tyrannical demands of an unrelenting master time. What happens here? When we are focused on time and the thing I've got to get done, I want to get this done before I die, before I go, before I die, before I go, as I age and get closer and closer and closer to the fullness of my promised years, the, the, the unrelenting force of time constricts me. Do you see how that's happening? And the things of my life become very needful. It's kind of like what I remember when we were doing this, we had, when we were in Joshua 7, the, the company that we had years and years and years ago. You know, we would get to the end of the month. And if the end of the month was coming and I didn't have the money that I needed in order to pay the bills and make the payroll and all that kind of stuff, do you know what I had to do? I had to go running after checks. I have to go call all my clients. I had, if, I, if I should have been at home working, instead I had to waste my day, go to Toronto, pick up a check, come back, put it in the... I'm wasting all of my time with these needful things that are created by tyrannical time. That's exactly the way that we experience life on a mortal level. Now, if I can get rid of that concept, we made that decision one day, Tina, Pastor Tina now, Tina then. Tina came to me and said, uh, we're just not going to do this anymore. No longer are we going to, now the money's going to have to start chasing us. Up until now, we've been wasting days and weeks and time and time and time chasing all of these things in order to keep us current financially. And so we just decided one day we're not doing that anymore. Can I tell you something? When we decided that, all of a sudden we didn't need to. There is a, and there is a reality here that when we get rid of the time factor in our lives, all of a sudden now, the time factor is, it's like it only exists because we have made it exist. The pressure is only there because we bought into the reason the pressure is there. Once we get rid of that the pressure is there, that we don't have a limit on our years, I don't have a final place of my life, that I'm going to putt past the hole, that I'm just going to be here one day and I'll be walking and then all of a sudden I'll still be walking except there'll be my carcass laying on the ground there. Looking real good, of course, but it'll be laying right there on the ground and all I'm doing is walking beyond it as if I had just taken off my shirt. If that's our experience and everybody says, I think that is my experience, I think there should be more of a manifestation in our lives right now that says, you know what, I'm putting past the hole. I'm no longer worried about the days, the end of my days. Can I tell you something? I think the reason that this is such an issue for the Lord is that in our culture, I watch people get more worried and more worried and more worried, more anxious, more careful as they get older. It seems like they need to save their life more and more the older they get. I, it's, it's, almost a, it's almost like a, what's the, 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 a paradox in the kingdom. When you're 16 years old, you know, mommy brings you to church and we have lots of fun and we go to concerts and we sleepovers and the girls are cute and all this stuff is going on. And then, you know, you get to be about 21 and there's a little bit of wandering that goes on. Yeah, I'd like to do that, but I'd like to sneak out to the bar on Saturday night and hopefully I can get to church on Sunday morning. And, 
And then by the time you're 25 or 30 or 35 now, all of a sudden now, you know, life takes over. I got to, you know, I got to go be, I got to go get it done, got to, and, and then older and older, and then you get to retirement age, and now all of a sudden, okay, now I only got a couple of years left here. And so because I only have a couple of years left, I really need to get at the bucket list. I really need to be able to get these things done. Do you see how the effect of that? All of this created by the finality of my mortal years. When, the, when Jesus is saying here to the rich young ruler, no, I need you to be able to get to the place where eternity, where your understanding that your life is never going to end. It's like me saying to Mike and Jess's baby in, in the womb here, that you know, your life is about to be over. <laughs> you only got a day or two left. That would be silly, right? That'd be silly. No, that life is about to be over. That stage of life is about to end. But then she comes out, the, the baby, sorry, the, the baby comes out here. I, I can never remember if I'm allowed to say that or not. Then, then um, she, it's out there. There we are. She's out there. And so, and so when she comes out here, the womb experience of life is, is, has ended but her life has actually graduated to a higher level of existence. Right. Now, if I tried to explain that to her right now, in her present context of what life is about, it would be very, very difficult, wouldn't it? If I tried to explain her what it's gonna be like when we go for a motorcycle ride, she would be going what? Like, I, I have no context. I, I, don't, I don't know how to understand even what you're saying. That's very similar to what God's problem is as he's trying to explain eternity to people who live mortal lives still. But somehow, there is the power through this believing process for each one of us to access a revelation of our eternity. I know that that's true. Because when we look at the book of Acts and we see the power of the early church, can I tell you something? The most remarkable power, uh, the most remarkable observation of the early church was that they had a revelation of eternity. It wasn't really that they had a revelation of abundance. Right? Paul says, I know how to abase and I know how to abound. And so it's there. He knew how to do these things. He knew how to make the machinery work. But what was really awesome about Paul was that he was the most amazing person of his day, but he allowed his life to be poured out like a drink offering and was rejoicing at the end of his life. He wasn't saying, oh my gosh, you know, I haven't seen uh, Tibet yet. You know, I haven't, uh," he wasn't saying that. He was rejoicing that that he had allowed his life to be poured out. You see, there's a different revelation. You look at the martyrs. People who would say these things like, I would not sacrifice something that I could never keep. I could never want to hold on to my life knowing that this mortal life is is nothing. It's a, excuse me for this, it's a placenta. It's nothing. Why would we try to hold on to that that which we can never keep? That revelation was part of their world. They understood they would never make a choice to compromise real life in order to maintain uh, the fake life. Each one of us, I think, 
if we have the opportunity to really attack something and come to the place of believing it, I think each of our lives will be most miraculously transformed when we can use the principle of understanding how to believe something that's almost impossible for us to believe, that we will do so first with our concept of eternal life. Let me make sure that I've got all my notes taken care of so that we can move on next week. I think we will all be surprised by eternity. It's merely seeing for the first time without the dull and graying veil of time. Eternity is the, is the principal objective. Uh, this is one of my concerns as I was reading through this, this part of the rich young ruler. We must understand eternity to do what we need to do here. I don't know why eternity became such an important concept where when I die, I will already know. I'll not be dead. I'll walk past it. Why is it so important that we have a revelation of eternity here? And you'll see some of these scriptures where we talk about our interaction with Jesus, our interaction with God, our interaction with his word, and the objective of that interaction is simply to get us a revelation while we are here that our lives don't end with our mortal demise. It's one of two things or both. One, I need a revelation of eternity in order to complete the destiny that I have here on this earth. There's something about the way eternity interacts with the soul of a human being when they understand purpose and destiny here on this planet. And then second of all, it surely would seem like you need to get the revelation on eternity before eternity gets here for you. There is such a high premium that is placed in scripture at understanding that your life does not end and that you need to believe that your life does not end. So much so that there may be a mechanism, and I'm not, just not really sure at this point, where we'd have to say, you need to get this revelation of eternity before you lose your mortality. There's something about the decision that you have to make while you are still mortal. Let me just speak to this one for two minutes then. The rich young ruler, as we are looking at our culture right now and the real opportunity that faces the kingdom to win this millennial generation, can I give you a couple of descriptors of this rich young ruler? We just know that he's three things. We know he's rich, we know he's young, and we know he's powerful. And we know he's hopeless. Can I tell you something about this millennial generation? They're rich, they're young, they're powerful, and they're hopeless. I believe that God is using very specifically this revelation of eternal life to make our lives purposeful, to make them meaningful, that we will lose the very value of our lives if we do not understand eternity and how our lives will never end.
Jesus' answer was not so much an indictment of harvest seasons as much as it was an invitation to live the adventurous life that only exists when you discover that your life is a seed. And let me just read this final one here because I really like it. The eternal and mortal worlds are neither distant nor parallel, but rather inseparably bound together. It is not until we see and celebrate this reality that the true power of being mortal is granted to us. I'm becoming increasingly aware that as a human heart interacts with its own eternity, it accesses a vision, it is able to see things and understand things that it could never see when it was clouded over by the limitations placed upon it by the forces of time. Particularly as we get older and older. And those pressures become more tyrannical and more tyrannical as we age and get closer to our final mortal destination. Will you, will you join me for a few weeks? that we could begin to dig in how this concept of eternity, I think it's gone wrong in our culture where the kingdom, people who do have a little bit of an understanding of their eternity, they just wanna sit in the church pew somewhere and wait for their eternity. Because you know that you're missing a whole bunch of scriptures there when you realize the opportunity that's been given to us to provide seed through this life for the life that really counts. And that that revelation of eternity actually superpowers our life here on earth. Just put your hand over your heart and say this with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I so desire a revelation of eternity. Holy Spirit, I know these concepts may be difficult for me as a mere man, but I know I'm not a mere man. I know that you're here to guide me into the truth. And so, Lord, I humble myself. I humble my own heart, my own intellect before your word. I know that a revelation of eternity is going to transform my life while I am here. So, Holy Spirit, reveal to me an understanding of a life that is everlasting. In Jesus' name, amen.